So the last time we were together, uh, I was preaching from the book of Ephesians, and uh, this text will hopefully be familiar to you from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks about husbands, um, all of us submitting to one another, and wives laying down their lives for their husbands through submission, and husbands laying down their lives for their wives through submission, and children to parents, and parents to children, and masters to slaves, and slaves to masters, and etc., etc. So Paul shows us in this text what submission to one another looks like, lived out behaviorally in the body of Christ. And so a couple of weeks back, I asked you to, uh, to consider a few things. First of all, practice submitting to one another. So how did that go? Work out okay? Any parents in the room shocked at how submissive your children were these past couple of weeks? Or hopefully you had an opportunity to practice a little bit. If not, there's always this week. So you can practice sharing with one another and submitting to one another in love. I also ask you to prayerfully process a question. What kind of church do you want to be? Do you want to be a serve us church? Or do you want to be a serve others church? And the truth is, we do that, we do both, right? It's not an either or, um, but we certainly want to make sure that we never lose focus of opportunities to serve others in the name of Jesus. I want to ask that same question, but I want to ask it another way. And this is more of an either or. Are we in the resignation business Are we resigned to just sit comfortably and not get our hands dirty? Or are we in the restoration business? Are people willing to dive into the pain and the heartache of a broken world and show others the life-saving power of Jesus Christ? And i got to tell you, the restoration business can be tricky. The restoration business can be messy. Walking into someone's pain or someone's heartache or someone's difficulty is not always easy. Sometimes things can just really go sideways. I want to give you an example of um, what this looks like lived out literally when we're trying to restore, physically trying to restore something. Some of you may remember this story from a few years back in August 2012, 81-year-old Cecilia Jimenez became a global laughingstock. You may have never heard her name before, but people ridiculed her because she confessed to being the person behind a restoration project that came to be known as Beast Christ. Beast Christ. Is this ringing a bell for anybody? Anybody remember the story? A couple of you do? Okay. So she basically um, was behind an appallingly bad and unauthorized restoration of a 19th century fresco in her church in uh, Borgia, Spain. And that picture depicted Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. This is the faded image, okay, of what it looked like. And they were investigating, restoring this. Well, this is what it looked like about after 80 years of weathering and light. 
And this is what it looked like after she restored the fresco. Now, I want you to see these side by side. Notice this next slide, okay? Here's the before and here's the after. Notice this next slide. It's probably what it looked like originally. This is what it looked like faded over time. And this was Cecilia's attempt at restoring the fresco, okay? Can you feel her pain? Bless her heart. Can you just feel it? Now, this became... um, It just went viral. You may not know this, but if you make a mistake, the internet is not your friend, okay? So Beast Jesus and uh, Cecilia Jimenez went viral, and here are a couple of examples. Now, this is from the movie E.T., and so they put her face on Elliot, okay, and Beast Christ on the uh, picture there of uh, E.T. Here's a pretty famous statue that some of you may be uh, familiar with in, uh, is this in, uh, is it in Brazil? Is this where this is? Yeah. And uh, so a pretty famous statue of, of Christ there. Uh, people made cakes uh, to kind of showcase the uh, fresco, and that became kind of a thing. Some folks said, oh, it's just the, it's just the Ohio State mascot. This was the next uh, thing that some people thought. And uh, even Boromir from Lord of the Rings got in on the action. One does not simply restore a fresco, okay, for you uh, Lord of the Ring fans. Now, coming full circle, Cecilia Jimenez was ridiculed for her restoration project, but something funny happened. Over the next three years, 160,000 tourists came to that little village, the Sanctuary of Mercy Church, to see this curiosity in person. While they were there, most of them bought lunch. Or they bought a souvenir or a trinket of some kind. They rented a hotel room, purchased other goods and services. So, in only what can be described in kind of a roundabout miracle, this restoration project saved this little town. Population of about 5,000 people. Saved them from the devastating recession that the rest of Spain had endured uh, following the financial meltdown of 2008. Isn't that a fascinating story? how it all worked out. So sometimes the restoration business doesn't go as we plan. Sometimes things don't turn out as we hope. But if our heart, I believe, is in trying to seek truth and trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus, even in our humanity, if we will yield to the Holy Spirit of God, incredible things can happen. That was a physical example. Let's talk a little bit more about the spiritual aspect of it. I think the image of Jesus is fading from the conscious awareness of our culture. Many people, people we love, children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, people who are very, very close to us now find themselves in the same place the prodigal son found himself, in a distant country, no longer really in our home, right? They kind of traded this home for a, a different home. In order for us to understand why, what's propelling that transition, 
into distant country, we have to pick up where we left off in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's a letter that explains tons of of why we do what we do in our humanity and the church's response to that. So you'll notice in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and I think we can put parenthetically here, and it will come. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm. I want you to notice some key phrases here that just get my attention as we read through this text. First, be strong in the Lord. Verse 10. Put on the full armor of God. Verse 11, take your stand. Verse 12, know where your struggle is. And firmly stands your ground. Paul isn't talking about willpower here. I mean, there's our will, our yielded will to God. But he's not talking about just just hang on, just white knuckle it, and maybe you'll get through this. That's not at all what he's wanting us to, to interpret from this text. Paul's talking about trust. Trust God. Trust in the ways of God. Trust the word of God. Trust what God supplies you with. Put your trust in him. It's not simply resolve your will language. It's, it's know who you are fighting and know who's fighting for you and who is fighting against you. Know where you're fighting. And trust those same weapons that have already proven battle-worthy. Those are, he continues in the text, stand firm with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. That's the very word of God. So when we began this series, we we made an observation. And those of you who were here for that first sermon in Ephesians, this probably or hopefully will sound familiar to you. We must not forget our history. We must not forget our geography. Christ Jesus defeated death, and he ascended to the right hand of God, and he made the church as a direct representation of what our ultimate future will be. In Ephesians, Paul references this cosmic bringing together uh, in Christ that is yet to be fully realized, but that's our history. That's our history. Ultimately, one of these days, it will be fully realized And we will be with him in glory. 
Jesus has all authority, but not only that, he has all rule over all authority. And that's our geography. We live in the realm of the king. So in chapter 6, Paul refers to these rulers and these authorities that Jesus is over. He refers to them as world rulers in the sense of those who live and rule within dark places. And I gave you this Greek word the first Sunday in this series. These powers are literally called krosmokraterus, krosmokraterus. And we're just going to call them, I'm going to call them cosmocrats, okay, for short, just cosmocrats. Uh, They're spiritual powers. They're unseen, but they're very effective because what they do is they dumb us down spiritually. And they make us forget our history. And they make us forget our geography. And the voices of these principalities and powers will only be silenced when we know who we are in Christ. Otherwise, we allow these voices to speak into our mind and we begin to believe The ludicrous. We begin to believe the ludicrous. Isn't it fascinating that for years and years and years, the secular culture looked at us and said, I don't believe you people because you deny science. What are many people who are secular doing today? Denying science. To believe a truth that they want to embrace. Now, if you want to see really how this works, if you want to get to the heart of it, just read Romans chapter 1. Read Romans 1 and watch the dynamic of what occurs in our heads and in our hearts when we trade who we are in Christ and just embrace our biology. Because when we do that, that's when our hearts and our heads get into very, very dark spaces. And it's very, very easy then for these powers to speak lies into our minds that we begin to believe is truth. I asked you a few weeks ago, have you ever wondered why in many ways our culture, why it's losing its spiritual mind? And here's one of the primary reasons. If you don't listen to the voice of God, there's only one voice left. That's it. And that's a voice that's about destruction. It's not a voice that's about eternal life. It's a voice that hates God. So to borrow a refrain from a song we sang to our children, so be careful, little ears, what you hear, right? I want to make it more textual. So be careful, little ears, to listen to God's voice and not the voice of the cosmocraterus, okay? (laughs) A little bit harder to sing that one, right? A little harder to sing that one. C.S. Lewis shows this beautifully in the Screwtape Letters. And if you're not familiar with the Screwtape Letters, it's Uncle Screwtape, a senior demon who is writing to his nephew about how to pull people away, believers away from God. And in the Screwtape Letters, he writes, when he, this is Uncle Screwtape talking, when he, God, talks of their losing uh, their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they've done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boast, I am afraid, sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. 
The world says, the world says Christianity is all about limits. Christianity limits you. It puts you into a set of rules and regulations, and Christianity is not any fun. It tells you all these things that you can't do. Well, you know what? The world's been listening to the cosmocrats. <laughs> so the world has swallowed that lie. And I'm not, I'm not saying the world as in the world, our, our enemy. I'm saying this as these are people that I, I care very, very deeply about. People who are embracing a worldly understanding of what it means to be a human being versus embracing a godly understanding of what it means to be a human being. So it's not us versus them. It's us hopefully informing them, showing them in Christ a very different alternative. Life in Christ, the world says it's limited. We know something different. Life in Christ is unlimited. And it makes us who we are destined to be. And nothing could be more freeing than that. And that's our message. And more importantly, it must be embodied in our actions and in our attitudes. We are in the restoration business. And the full armor of God is comprised of various tools to help us help others see and know Jesus. Now, one of the things that we often use when we restore a physical structure is scaffolding. And we had actually hoped to have some on stage this morning, and we, we couldn't make it work out. Uh, so I'll just show you a couple of pictures of some famous landmarks that are uh, surrounded by scaffolding as they were being, in, uh, being restored. And I actually was in D.C. when the Capitol Dome was being restored. And so this is a picture that I snapped a couple of years back uh, when this was going on. But when we consider that humankind is fallen, uh, we, in essence, become restoration projects very, very early in life. I remember the first time I lied. I remember. I remember. It was in, I was in kindergarten. I was five years old the first time I lied. No one taught me how to do that. I figured that one out on my own, right? So the Lord, the Lord in his wisdom, the Lord in his wisdom surrounds us with a community. And he surrounds us with the resources in which to live in truth. So Paul uses scaffolding language when he writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what is the purpose of scaffolding? Scaffolding is not designed to be a permanent part of the structure. Scaffolding is temporary. It's necessary when renovating places that we can't reach on our own. Scaffolding requires intentionality and testing when it is being set up. You start getting up two, three, four, five stories high, you want to make sure it's put together right, yeah? Scaffolding is inanimate. It has no feelings. In a physical sense, this building, these pews, this stage, these walls, these lights, in a physical sense, all these things are scaffolding. 
They are designed to put us into a place so that we can focus on God and so that we can focus on others. But remember, physical scaffolding is temporary. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But there is another type of scaffolding in this place that is more powerful than physical scaffolding, and that's spiritual scaffolding. It's very different. We, we have mothers and fathers in this room who have older children who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Those are folks I want to hear from. We have folks in this room who sometimes cry themselves to sleep at night because their grown children have traded the spiritual scaffolding of God for another type of scaffolding. And you know what? Those are folks I want to hear from too. Because both of these perspectives have something to share with all of the rest of us who are trying to find that scaffolding to put around the heads and the hearts of our children as we raise them to hopefully know the Lord. In this room, we have cancer survivors. We have those who have lost loved ones to cancer. In this room, we have people whose prayers have been answered. In this room, we have people who got an answer, but it wasn't the answer they wanted. In this room, we have people who were once enslaved to alcohol, but are now not just recovering, but are helping other people recover from the devastating impact of alcoholism. These are all people I want to hear from. These are all people that I want to get to know in the body of Christ. Because every single believer's journey contributes to the greater story of God in this place. And if you walk in here, guess what? You're going to need people around you who are real and genuine, been there, done that, <laughs> so that your story can become part of God's greater story. It's the heart of spiritual scaffolding, people who fully understand what life with Jesus is like and what life without him is like. And people who, through it all, chose and continue to choose Jesus. With physical scaffolding, the results are temporary. The building will ultimately need to be repaired again. Weather and time and gravity, all of these things takes their toll. With spiritual scaffolding, the results are eternal. So my question is, do you truly want people to be restored to God's eternal purposes? And if your answer is yes, then you may invite people to physical scaffolding, but if you do not engage, engage them in spiritual scaffolding, there will be no change. They won't stay. Physical scaffolding may intrigue, but spiritual scaffolding engages. Physical scaffolding may attract, but 
Spiritual scaffolding affirms. Physical scaffolding may enhance, but spiritual scaffolding equips. Physical scaffolding may cause us to brag to our friends, but spiritual scaffolding leads us again and again and again into the presence of the king. The Hebrews writer describes the eternal nature of spiritual scaffolding. Therefore, since we are, say this word with me, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Do you not see, even after this life, there are those who are cheering us on? We'll move forward a little bit. Our time is getting away. Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, describing spiritual scaffolding in various forms. I just want you to see how this works, how, it's played, how it plays out in Scripture, beginning in Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit. That's spiritual scaffolding. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says. That whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Fearless declaration. That's spiritual scaffolding. He even mentions people by name here. Uh, Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may, say that phrase with me, encourage you. Spiritual scaffolding. Peace to the brothers and sisters. Love with faith. From God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So as you think about what we talked about this morning, and regardless of where you are, if you're up on the summit today or if you're down in the valley today, God's at work. God is at work. A few things to remind you of. Who and what you surround yourself with matters. So be wise in the choice of the scaffolding that you put around your head and around your heart. Um, no one runs into battle naked. So be wise in your choice of weapons and be wise in your spiritual attire. And finally, renovation takes time. And I want to challenge you. If there's someone who has is, is drifted from the Lord that's very near and very dear to you, be patient. But be fearless. Pray, pray, pray. And let the light of Christ in you shine brightly. Even if you're in a context that some darkness has crept in. I hope this series in Ephesians has been a blessing to you. Uh, I, I could preach on this 
book for months and months and months and still never exhaust all that's in here. And I pray that this message will not only be an encouragement to you, but will be something that you'll be able to actually live out into the lives of people who need the Lord, uh, us included, us included. We're going to share a song together. If there's anything on your heart this morning you want to share with the, the church, the elders will meet you down front. Uh, after we wrap up, I'll be back in the lobby, and so I'm happy to chat with you back there. Perhaps you want to be baptized. Perhaps there's something else in your heart that you want to share. Uh, now's the time to let that be known. Let's stand up together. Let's uh, sing together.